Okay, welcome to Iron Radio, everybody. Uh, this is Lonnie Lowry. Uh, just by way of introductions, I am an exercise physiologist. I'm a nutrition professor, and I have competed in strength sports before. Hi, my name is Rob Fortress Fortney. I'm a journalist editor, um, former competitive bodybuilder, and current strength enthusiast athlete. And this is Charles Staley, author of Muscle Logic and creator of Escalating Density Training. Uh, Phil Stevens. I work with Charles Staley Training Systems. I'm a powerlifter, strong man, and uh, soon to be Highland Games competitor and uh, Arizona chair for the North American Highlander Association. Awesome. I am okay. uh, David Barr, and uh, apparently I have no idea how this works, so this will be a great learning experience. <laughs> uh, actually, Dave, what what I'd like to do is is start off with you a little bit. Okay, and sounds good. I, for for anybody who's uh, who doesn't know Dave Barr's name, um, and Dave, you can update me on any of this, but uh, David is a fitness industry author, uh, consultant. Uh, I know that Dave has spent some time doing graduate work in some very impressive laboratories. In fact, uh, spending time in one of the two or three laboratories where almost all of our knowledge about protein in sports nutrition comes from. Um, Dave is really not a slacker in the physique department either. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's enough shameless plugging for uh, for Dave. But it, it, it's, <laughs> it's good to have Dave with us. So, uh, I'm just going to toss a couple of questions at you here, Dave. If that's cool with you. Yeah, sounds great. This isn't some big prepared list. So, uh, obviously, after we just catch up with what's going on in your life, then we'll also. Uh, you know, we'll talk about this week's topic, which is kind of a tongue-in-cheek topic, but is instructional nonetheless, and that is how to get fat. So anyway, we'll start with just a couple of questions. The first thing is just open-ended, but what have you been up to lately? Can you just share with the listeners? Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm actually uh, finishing up my third book. The first two uh, are entitled The Anabolic Index, and they're available on the website. And, uh, you know, they've been going really well, doing really well in sales. And the third one is going to be more focused on athletics as opposed to bodybuilding and physique. And it's going to uh, discuss performance and recovery. But I'm actually going to talk about um, recovery from a neural perspective, uh, talking about the nervous system and the importance of, of uh, you know, proper diet and supplementation, how we can actually manipulate the nervous system through those uh, mechanisms. I don't I think that's ever been done before. In fact, I'm pretty sure it's never been done before. Yeah, uh, Rob so and I have talked about that many times, I mean, especially nutritionally. I mean, I'm, I'm curious. You've got me, my curiosity peaked now because <laughs> nutritionally, you know, it's always about peripheral muscle depletion, you know, yeah, and how exactly. that's a cause of fatigue. But what about central drive? And what about there are nutrients that can help with, you know, uh, nerve performance, nerve regeneration, uh, so is it kind of a holistic thing, or is it a purely nutritional approach? I'd say it's it's uh, more supplemental than, than anything. Uh, nutrition is certainly important, um, but it, it largely revolves around fish oil and the uh, the fats that are uh, that basically comprise our cell membranes, basically the sure. the bags uh, you know that that surround uh, the good stuff in our cells. And if we if you can manipulate that and, and change the um, 
it's called membrane fluidity, basically the, the outside structure of the cell itself, then you cause a whole host of, of positive changes. Uh, you know, that, that could affect, you know, everything from muscle catabolism to the way that, that uh, the signals are sent um, down our nerve cells. It's really fascinating. Yeah. Well, it fascinates me, too. I've often used the analogy that it's almost like, uh, you know, when you talk about carbohydrates, which gets so much attention in a lot of healthcare settings, that stuff going in and out of the cell, think of a cell like a water balloon. It's just going in and out. But when you manipulate fats like you're talking about, the rubber of the balloon changes itself. You know, and so talk about you are what you eat. So potent effects, I'm sure. And, and that's the perfect analogy. I, I use that several times throughout the book and uh, even through presentations as well. So th- thanks for mentioning that. Awesome. Uh, okay. Well, uh, is, is that, has that taken a lot of your time then? Is it mostly just been writing that, that third book then? or? Yeah, that and, uh, you know, the the uh, traditional job hunt, I'm I'm uh, newly minted to work in this country, so that's great, and uh have my green card interview coming up, so oh, a lot of preparation that. for that, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's all going very well. Are you dropping the, uh, you, you're from Canada, correct? Yeah. Yeah, where, where, do you, where are you from? Uh, just southwest of you, uh, Kitchener-Waterloo, and that's, uh, if you've never heard of Waterloo, you probably will within the next decade. Uh, it's the home of the blackberry, which everyone knows of, and uh, it's just a really booming industrial town, uh, technology town. Sorry, mm. big difference there. Okay, cool. Uh, so, um, no, I'm on, sorry, on the, the physical aspect, I mean, you said it. You mainly stress you're stressing nutrient or supplementation in your book. I mean, you're talking, then you go into official. I mean, we're walking a fine line, as we are with, I'd say, a lot of the effective supplements i mean it's that fine line between is it food or is it a supplement you know i mean yeah, it that, is that's, stuff you know <laughs> i mean but. yeah that, that's a very good question and um the reason I, I would classify this uh particular fish oil as supplementation is because you generally can't get the the specific type of fatty acid that that i'm really after that we we should all really be after uh, you can't really get much of that from food. You, you really have to go to a concentrated source. And I actually have to give uh, Lonnie credit you know, for this. I mean, he really raised awareness about uh, the, this type of oil called uh, DHA, this type of fat. And uh, it, it's really, really important. I think, uh, again, if you, if you haven't heard of it, you're going to be hearing a lot about DHA in the future. So definitely pay attention to that. And uh, you know, you might also want to pay attention occasionally when uh, Lonnie speaks. He he does have some good stuff to say. But that's why it's easy to interview you because we agree on most things. <laughs> there you go. I like it. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, I I remember reading uh, an abstract just last fall. I, w- I was writing a fat book chapter for the NSCA. Oh, and, cool. Uh, and indeed, they're substantiating exactly what you're saying that. Uh, most people simply don't get enough of the omega-3 fatty acids, um, and in this case, DHA. Uh, and it, it was particularly true, I thought, was interesting in the Midwest of the United States. And I don't, I don't know if I can extrapolate that to the Midwest of, you know, of Canada as well. But definitely, people have a harder time seeking this just in food. I mean, unless you're literally going to, you know, have salmon a couple times a week and things like that. And Phil brought up the whole idea of food versus supplements, and this is one of those things where 
you know, with the mercury and the organic contaminants in in uh, fish. Uh, I mean, salmon's a little bit less offensive than something like swordfish or the big ones, but you know, there are some actual issues because of our polluted environment. So supplements are something that's getting embraced more and more, even by groups that are usually reluctant, like the American Heart Association. So good stuff on how you're applying it to uh, to athletes. Thank you. Well, we'll see how it goes. I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's it's going to be a big paradigm shift for, for the entire industry. Actually, it, it's it's really cool to hear you talk about that because the, it's kind of hard to think about nutrients that will act specifically on, you know, neural performance. I mean, outside of something like what you're discussing, so very specific or refined uh, fatty acids and things like that. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's kind of largely ignored as well by many athletes and physique enthusiasts. Even. And you know, that, that's another thing I, I discuss, and it has to to do a lot with the information that we have. And even the conceptualization of you know the body and, and the way our food intake works and all that, and, and from a um, you know say from a, an athlete's perspective or a bodybuilder's perspective, we know what muscle is. I mean, you know, we look at it, we see it in the mirror. You know, it's what we we make a muscle when we're ten years old to show how big and strong we are. You know, all that silliness. And you know what? That carries over right up into the research. I mean, all the research is done on muscle. And it's because it's very easy to study. You can just punch a hole in in a leg, and you know there you get your tissue. You can study all kinds of things. You study, you can take a look at metabolism during exercise. I mean that that's just really cool. But as soon as it comes to neural tissue, I, you you cannot take a biopsy, you know, particularly from a human, and get neural tissue from it. it it's very difficult to study. Uh, it, it's internal, so we don't fully um, understand it. It's far more difficult to conceptualize. So given that paucity of information and, and inability to conceptualize it, I, I don't think that people really un, have, a, have a great appreciation for the nervous system and what, what we can do to, to manipulate it. Well, that's that's such a good point, Dave. Um, and, uh, you, you know, it's so easy to forget that muscle is the slave of the nervous system. So, um, you know, you can't wear your nervous system on your sleeve, so to speak, meaning that, you know, uh, you can have a strong nervous system and not necessarily uh, – uh, you know, you can't tell by looking at someone, but but uh, on the other hand, your muscular development, uh, be it you know great or small, is a direct uh, product of how well you're kind of training your nervous system. So uh, it's it's a it's a great topic. Can I uh, can I quote you on that? Muscle is the slave of the nervous system. I like that. Yeah, I was kind of. I'm glad you're. I had forgotten it already, but yeah, you can quote me. <laughs> Forgot to say his best for ATN after he was done. Uh, well, I mean, West, Western training has always, well, certainly has been so focused primarily on bodybuilding, and, and it's all been just about muscle growth, and nobody's really thought about the nervous system. I mean, even even myself up to only a few years ago, um, you know, when I started kind of delving a little bit further into how kind of even Louis Simmons was channeling a lot of the European strength coach philosophies, you know, as it related to weightlifting and stuff, about, you know, the, the importance of the nervous system and basically how that's, fundamentally the the base work of all kind of a performance when it comes to like anaerobic activity and stuff. So it's very interesting to certainly just out to a lay athlete like like myself too. So You know, Rob, that's a really good point. I remember uh when we were in Finland this was years ago, but so much of, it was the first international con- congress on strength training or something I can't remember the exact title, but 
there was so much there about neural development, you know, about how mesocycles should be like six weeks or so to peak, you know, strength and, and things like that. And it was so neural. And I'm I'm watching all this thinking, wow, you know, back in the States, so much of this, at least at the time, was just muscle, muscle, muscle. Um, whereas physiologists have known for a long time that you can get muscle fibers to change their, you know, their type just because of the way you uh, fire your nervous system and stuff like that. Well, I always that. find it interesting, too, that everybody always talks about, um, you know, recuperation from working out and, you know, well, you know, 48, 72 hours and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, that's all fine and well dandy, but, you know, people don't ever consider the, the concept of, you know, the suppression on the nervous system and so forth. And, I mean, I don't know anything about these things, so I'm not going to talk out of my butt here, but I mean, those are things that need to be considered. And, you know, certainly um, scientists such as yourselves and that, you know, need to delve further into that to find out, you know, what, what the nervous system requires because it seems like it requires a heck of a lot more than just simple muscle tissue to kind of get over some of these ultra-brutal and intense workouts that some of these athletes are going through. I mean, I think it, it first smacks you in the face or it smacks me in the face when when you start getting, as a strength athlete, up on your heavier and heavier loads and, say, going to a meet and, you know, I'll do nine repetitions but I'll be shot and feel like I got hit by a truck for a week, and it's not on the muscular level, but just mentally and uh, hell, even, even emotionally just down, and it's from just the sheer amount of loads and, and the, the pressure and fatigue on the central nervous system more so than it is the, uh, at the muscular level. Oh, yeah. I mean, when you're more of a purist strength athlete, I mean, <coughs> you you're probably training much, much less I mean, you were when you were a bodybuilder, but you're probably suffering more and more, um, you know, as far as trying to recuperate from it. And that's, again, yeah, as you're saying, primarily, it's got to be the nervous system, so. Okay. Hey, Dave, I've got one more question for you sure. before we move on to the week's topic. But, um, and this is a this is a personal one, so you can deflect it if you want. All right. But, um, what, do you have any physique goals right now? Are you... Uh, you know, any kind of hard training mode right now or any competitive aspirations or uh, what about yourself with the strength side of things? Oh, it's fine. I, I was actually, uh, <laughs> I was actually just uh, talking to Phil about this a little earlier. Um, yeah, it's, uh, right now I'm in a uh, basically a maintenance mode where I try to uh, maintain my weights and uh, – recoup some of the uh damage we'll say that uh, that I've uh, accrued over the years you know so make sure my shoulders are are tip top and whatnot for my next mass phase so that will be happening in 2 weeks uh, I've I've no competitive aspirations or anything like that but um I actually it was about a year ago I I took uh 14 months off uh because of a couple uh serious injuries I ended up losing about 60 pounds most of that was muscle so uh, it, it's been a, a tough crawl back to you know some semblance of, of muscularity. Uh, so uh, feeling good about it now, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I just got to be really careful about the uh, the injuries, uh, especially my my shoulder and my knee. I, I know I'll never be squatting four or five plates again, and you know I'm okay with that. But you know, how just, did you hurt uh, yourself? Ah, uh, just training. Um, you know, there, there was there was never uh, really a specific moment that I, I could identify. Uh, maybe a little bit with, with the shoulder. I mean, my shoulder w- was bothering me for for quite a while, 
and uh, I decided to hop in, hop in the gym, do some bench press. On my uh, first rep of my first warm up with the bar, um, so this is a 20 pound load uh, on on each arm. I came down, nice, tight, perfect form, and something just tweaked in my shoulder, and it was done. It was, I, I I mean, it wasn't like anything actually tore. You know, I could, I could press the bar back up, but it was, you know, it was just exceptionally painful. And, uh, hmm. you know, that, you know, that was kind of the last straw. I was like, all right, I need, I need to take a break. Maybe 50, or, or excuse me, 14 months was a little long, but, uh, you know, <laughs> it did the trick, uh, you know, as far as I could go without surgery. So, yeah, so it's just a matter of, of knowing, knowing my limits and, uh, you know, knowing when I need to take the break. So I, I can, I can have some really good, uh, bulking phases, but they need to be followed by, uh, you know, maintenance phases. And that's something I've never done. I mean, I just, I have a real hard time half-assing it in the gym. It's just, you know, go nuts and, you know, get out. And, you know, going in there and, and putting forth, you know, even 80% effort is just really difficult. But, you know, I guess as, as I've Agreed. gotten older, it's, uh, you know, something I have to do. Well, I mean, there's got to be a, like they say, uh Every every peak has two valleys on either side of it. A valley on either side of it. But I mean, I I wouldn't. It, it's disappointing at a point to hear you say that you never squat four or five plates again. I mean, I I fully think you can bounce back from about anything. I mean, I know you can, man. <laughs> Thanks. It's just wanting it, you know. Appreciate well, all right. Listen, I want to steer this around to Dave talking about you know losing sixty pounds of of leading mass and everything. And if, if you are talking about bulking up and everything, just to try to tie this in with this week a little bit, let's just little segue here. And how would you, Dave, um, avoid unnecessary fat gain? Or let, let, Well, uh, honestly, we're, we're trying to do this the opposite. So if you were going to bulk up and you were really going to blow it, <laughs> what would you do to get really fat? Oh, dude, I'm on that right now. <laughs> I would talk to Phil and see what. No, no, and that was a very uh, deftly done uh, segue. I appreciate that. Um, you know, I, for me, it always starts off with with the psychology, and uh, I, I don't know, uh, Lonnie, if you were involved, but there there was a roundtable that uh, took place for for another online magazine where we discussed fat loss. And for me, I, I focused on the psychology of it. And I, I got a bunch of emails after saying, what are you doing? I mean, we, we don't care about the psychology. We, we just want to know, give us, like, the tips and the tricks to, you know, get, get shredded so girls like us. And, you know, the interesting thing is everything comes down to psychology. I mean, you know, that <laughs> another segue from our Dave, discussion. Here's another one for you, man. Physiology is the slave of psychology. How good is that? Yes, that brilliant <laughs> exactly and i think to put it in perspective i mean take a look at all of the information we have about diet and training and specific nutrition for weight loss and all the supplements that you see on tv and, and on all the websites is that the problem i mean with two-thirds of our society being overweight is do we just not have enough information or do we just not have enough crap to be sold to people to, to lose weight. I mean, no, that, uh, clearly that's not the issue. It all comes down to psychology. So uh, starting starting off with, with the psychology, uh, the best way to, to gain weight is to just not have any goals, not, not have any aspirations at all. 
uh, for weight loss. And, and, you know, it's very easy. If you don't start, then, you know, nothing's going to happen. It's a great way to uh, to go about it. It's true. So basically just lowering your expectations. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, the environment here in the States, now that you're down here especially, but Canadians aren't that much different, but the environment is such that you will start getting fat. Unless you purposely seek to avoid it, you will start getting fat. You know, that's how our obesogenic environment works, you know. Well, there's exactly. I think just the, the, the availability is too, too rampant. And when you combine that with the fact that most people today are just sedentary, like, you know, you were saying, it's just people don't have any goals towards or anything that's physical or athletic. So, like you're saying, Lonnie, if, if if people just kind of put that aside and they don't have any of those aspirations, then because of the availability and because of the fact that, you know, um, outside of purposefully going out and trying to do something athletic, our lifestyles are such that we're so sedentary that it's almost inevitable that you're just going to be a fat bastard. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, I don't want to come off like the Unabomber, but, I I mean, technology is uh, partially to blame, you know, because our goal is to make everything easier and faster. And, you know, we we have these expectations that, you know, everything has to be easy and fast. But that's not how it works for our bodies. I mean, we we do have to have some, uh, you know, modicum of physical activity. You know, in in order to maintain a healthy weight or, you know, lose weight. And, you know, it's not easy. It's and not going to be easy. It's not supposed to be easy. You know, so that's why I kind of argue that um, coming from a person that's been on both sides, I'd, I'd argue that, you know, people that are getting obese, and they do have goals. They're trying real hard to get obese. They're 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 purposely not, they're making excuses not to do activity. They're purposely seeking out junk food. And, you know, it's it's nothing you realize when you're in that position, but having been there and come out of it and then been, I guess you could say, average and then going to the other end, I mean, you see it from, from an outside perspective. And, it, damn, I was trying hard. You know, I went out of my way to eat whole pizzas and 12 packs of beer and sit on my ass, you know. And <laughs> by just not trying to do that and being a little active, having fun and enjoying yourself and not dodging inactivity, but taking part in life, not even trying real hard, but just taking part in life, you can easily be in decent shape. Phil, what you're saying right there is, just to tie that with what Dave is saying, is something that you'll often hear from uh, people who are doing it right, I think, consultants, nutritionists, is focus on do's, not don'ts, right? Mm -hmm. Too much of the weight management thing is, uh, you know, don't eat carbs, don't eat fat, yeah. don't, don't, don't. And then people get this, like, cycle of guilt and failure and stuff like that. So, I mean, if my goal was to, in fact, fail at, you know, holding down my body fat level, if my goal was to get fat, I'd probably try this, these don'ts because that would drive me right into, you know, uh, this sense of deprivation and desperation, and then I'd probably pig out yeah. all the more. So, always, oh, that's me. I mean... Right now, I mean, for the last two weeks, I've trying to go from 260 to 275, and it's not easy. <laughs> I'm personally having to sit on my butt and slam down bowls of cereal and do everything I can, you know. And cereal is what I did before. You know that cereal, breakfast cereal, one of the un- unsung heroes of uh, obesity uh, development, no question about it. Really, yeah. Oh, don't you think? 
especially yeah, yeah, big time. Yeah, yeah there's only one time a day that I could see breakfast cereal being really handy, and that would be like if you just had an exhaustive workout and you wanted an insulin spike and you wanted a little sugar rush or something, you know, yeah. maybe then. So Charles's Charles's suggestion for getting fat then is head for the sugary kid cereals, right? Oh yeah. Hey, I think you know success leaves clues. I mean, you know, <laughs> to quote Tony Robbins. <laughs> so. You know, you know, just think, you know, if we have an obesity epidemic, just, like, look at what people are doing, you know. Yeah. I mean, and this goes back to, like, you know, people who are listening are probably familiar with my uh, my little mantra, which is, uh, you know, do the opposite. So, really, the, the easiest way to, uh, you know, if you're looking to gain weight is just kind of look what most people do, and, and, and you'll have the answer. Mm-hmm. That's scary. I always thought, I, my, my thing was always when you, to get fat, it's more what you're not doing versus what you're doing because, which we were talking about a couple of minutes ago, just the whole concept of, I really think it's it's more the sedentary thing that is necessarily what you're eating, although you can't, you know, put that aside, of course, but, I mean, if you're training hard enough, unless you're really, like as Phil says, unless you're really, really, really putting, you know, effort into it, it's, it's kind of hard to get obese if you're training, you know, to a certain degree of athleticism and, and effort, I would think. I don't know. You guys think? I agree. Totally. Yeah, I'm with you. If I was, was going to add something nutritionally, um, in fact, part of this goes back, this is a, more of a nuance or a tweak, but back to what Dave and I were talking about, I found that paper. It's Archer and Colleagues. It was a 1998 paper that said that most people in the U.S. population don't get enough uh, fatty fish to garner certain effects, um, but there's some cool data coming out about uh, omega-3 fats and their ability to, uh, you know, help with body fat as well. So, and when you co- couple that with some other things like the fact that you know most people in this country eat about 10 grams of fiber a day, maybe 15, depending on the survey. You know, they're not. They're not purposely seeking stuff like quality fats like fish oils. They're not purposely seeking stuff like, you know, soluble fiber. Um, and those things start to add up, right? So I think uh, – and people drink a lot of calorie too. Charles is talking about what people do. Look around and see what people are doing. Well, with roughly 70% of us now overweight and obese, what are people doing? You know, they're chugging down uh, high fructose corn syrup beverages, uh, and if you look at stuff like from the U.S. Department of Agriculture, you'll see that since the 80s, there's just just big rise in high fructose corn syrup intake and a similar rise in obesity at the same time. Now, whether you want to argue it's something special about HFCS or not, the, the fact is people are drinking down lots and lots of sugars, uh, and those are fine. You know, that's what people are starting to point the fingers at. So, I mean, if we're talking about how to get fat, chugging down you know, full-strength colas would be one way to do it. Mm-hmm. Do you guys know people who just cannot drink water? They, like, they they have to drink something with flavor? I knew a woman once who drank anywhere between 8 and 12 cans of Coke a day. Oh, my God. And, and she, uh, surprisingly, she was actually had a very, very nice body on her. Um, I don't know how much longer that would last, though, because I haven't seen her for a decade or so. But, yeah, she, she had a aversion to anything that wasn't coke which was interesting 
that's scary. I mean, yeah, it, it, even uh, you know the uh, less innocuous uh, drinks, like like a shake from McDonald's. I was going through um, a food list with my wife the other week, and apparently McDonald's now has a half a gallon shake. Get out of here! <laughs> half like? Uh, Are you <laughs> kidding me? That's my it's, key to the next five pounds. Yeah, uh, there 4. you go. Four point four to be specific, right? What's a gallon? Eight pounds? Wow. <laughs> a half gallon. Yeah, I mean, that's just. Uh... I mean, pretty soon these drinks are going to be so big that you're going to have to have some kind of a, a transport device or something, you know? Yeah, seriously. Wow. And I, I, you know, uh, not to be a dead horse, but I mean, again, it comes back to the psychology and you know the whole value of you know getting more for your dollar and. Uh, actually, Lonnie, oh, yeah. you, you had a great, uh, great comment on that in, in your uh, presentation. Um, uh, what, what was? Oh, I can't think about what. Something about the hard seats get you in, get you out of. Oh, uh, uh, I, I don't know where I heard that, but something. Yeah, that the bright colors draw you into some of those fast food restaurants, but then the seats aren't very comfy, so you get drawn in like a bee to a flower or something. But then you're like driven out because your butt hurts after 15 minutes. Wow, oh, no, I, I, I would have never put that together, but as soon as you mentioned that, it, it does ring true. Uh, huh? Very. Well, think how marketers work. You know, I, they're they're after the bottom line, and that means move more bodies through the cafeteria, so to speak. I think. Mm-hmm. It is kind of insidious. Uh, one point I wanted to make about the sugary drinks is I don't know if any of the listeners or any of you guys have heard about the obesity tax in New York. You heard about no. that? Uh, I was lo- looking at a – there was a public health official talking about it. He has a YouTube video or something, and, and he was talking about uh, the idea of taxing sugary beverages and colas and things like that. Uh, with almost like a sin tax, you know, like you might see in Canada on alcohol and cigarettes and stuff, and applying that to sugary drinks. And, of course, immediately the lobbyists are coming out in force, you know, for the uh, probably the cola industry or something, and they're trying to dissuade a lot of this. But the idea is, of course, if you could just stop drinking sugary drinks uh, – there's going to be X amount of pounds lost over the next year. You know, the healthcare costs are going to go down concomitantly, and et cetera, et cetera. So I don't know if that obesity tax is going to go through or not, but they're specifically targeting sugary drinks. Uh, and uh, you could find data. I don't have any authors' names off the top of my head, but I've seen data in Britain and the U.S. that directly points a finger at you know sugary drinks and. Uh, their connection to. I would think to if you obesity, had a so. significant tax on on sugary drinks. I'm just trying to play this through here, okay? So, then all of a sudden you have if people, all these people start decreasing their consumption and start losing weight, then you have kind of like uh, the thermal emissions. I think would exacerbate global warming. <laughs> that just would be a concern of mine. <laughs> I think the the guy was actually making a point in this video, this educational video, that people would save a ton of money and it would actually help the economy, you know. And then he's saying, and they could spend that money on. He was using the example of skim milk, you know, and just I don't know. So we'll see where that goes. But I think it's got to be making some of the sugary beverage. You know, you ever see a label that says beverage or uh, you know drink fruit drink? Beware. Right, because 
that's just going to be loaded with sucrose or high fructose corn syrup or something. Well, look when you go into a store now, and it's not even nearly as pervasive as it is down in the States, because um, I've lived both places, but, I mean, you go into a store, and whether it be a variety store or grocery store, and, and just the, the sheer amount of, of sports drinks and energy drinks, and it's, it's they're all these gigantic, you know, cans and bottles, and you see these kids and stuff wolfing the stuff down. I mean, honestly, how many of these people actually really need these drinks, these sports athletic drinks? I mean, most, I would say 90% of the people are, are drinking these things aren't, aren't drinking them, you know, post-workout or post-athletic event or something. Oh, totally. They're like armchair quarterbacks who, you know, they go play 20 minutes of basketball in their lunch break or something, and then they, they chug a quart of, uh, you know, a sports drink or something. <laughs> I wonder what the glycogen like depletion um, ratios would be for, like, playing, like, uh, Wii bowling or something, you know? Yeah, yeah. I don't think it would be that significant. You know, I have I actually saw one paper where they were suggesting at 30 minutes of weight training can deplete muscle glycogen by about 30%. But, you know, that's that's still 30 minutes of continuous weight training. And even then you're only dropping by about a third. But, yeah, it would be funny to, to look at how little – Glycogen depletion actually occurs with uh, stuff that people count as "quote unquote" physical activity. You know, I, I think it goes even beyond the the physical activity. I mean, the uh, you know Gatorades and whatnot. They they seem like a more socially acceptable version of soda pop. You know, I mean, athletes drink oh, it, so it's, it's got to be good, right? I mean, it's got to be good for you. It's got that's a very good point. It's got that's electrolytes. Good. I mean, there there was a terrible movie called uh, Idiocracy. But they they kept emphasizing um, the the fact that that people were just inculcated with this marketing, you know, even though they had no concept of what it meant. So uh, basically, the futuristic movie they kept putting um, uh, this. I think it was called Bondo. It was an electrolyte drink. They kept putting it on the plants, you know, because it's great and it has electrolytes, and it was killing all the plants. So the people were going to die because they didn't have any more plants. And uh, so so th- this thing this theme kept reoccurring. It was like, well, why are you putting this on the plants? It's got what plants need, electrolytes. But it's killing them. No, it's got what plants need. And, you know, I, I think uh, it, it was it was pretty good satire for uh, for modern society and, you know, uh, a, bit of shot, a bit of a shot at uh, marketing as well. You know, it would be a great future topic for you uh, nutrition wizards, maybe for a future show, would be to kind of uh, go through the list of marketing tactics that, that food companies use to kind of deceive consumers, and, and you just alluded to one of them, which is that you sort of highlight the, the, the positive of the product while downplaying the, the, the negative. And, you know, the big one that comes to me is, uh, you know, you'll always see uh, like some kind of breakfast fiber bar. I know Lonnie's been uh, kind of talking about this a while, but you'll see some like fiber bar that may have a, a decent amount of fiber in it, so they highlight that, but then they don't uh, tell you that, you know, there's 150 grams of sugar or whatever. So. Uh, people will look at it and say, "Oh, well, it's got to be good. There's fiber in it," and, uh, without looking at the, uh, re- you know, the the rest of the uh, ingredients, and and so uh, that that would be a good topic. Yeah, and like mm-hmm. Dave said, the marketers—it's it's all how they kind of uh, coach it to people. You know, this is a health bar, and yeah. people—they never really think to hold up a cookie label next to the health bar label and say, "Wow, this is just a cookie." You know, it's just wrapped and packaged differently and and sold as something healthy. So let me let me just try to reiterate. Here we've got a list uh, from the, the group here on how to get fat. Dave is saying don't 
don't bother considering psychology, right? Ignore anything that's a trigger for you to maybe fall off the wagon. Don't really make any plans. Just So just ignore the psychology, and you'll get fat. Phil says, sit around with me. You'll get fat. <laughs> <laughs> Charles says, go for the sugary cereals. You know, that's going to help you on your quest for obesity. Uh, <laughs> I'm kind of making the point. I think several of us did. Uh, you might want to wash down that sugary kid cereal with a nice, you know, big cola or fruit punch or beverage of some kind. <laughs> cereal and sports drink. <laughs> Yeah, that would be great. And then there's a prescription for you. Um, Charles also had a good point. Follow the herd. The herd is fat. Follow the herd. They will teach you what you need. <laughs> uh, and I think also don't bother, you know, seeking healthy foods. We talked about how people don't get enough, whether it's omega-3 fats or fiber. Uh, and, you know, there's even a certain element of protein uh, dissuasion, I think, that people get. Like, you don't need that extra protein or, you know, lean. even lean meats are bad in some way or unnecessary. And so that'd be the other thing you could do is don't bother seeking fiber and protein and quality fats. If you, uh, if you fill up on fiber and protein, you're not going to have enough room for cereal and sports drinks. So <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. That would ruin your quest. Well, also, in modern society, nobody has the time anymore to prepare meals like they used to do. Or everybody's so busy running around that you know everybody's got to go some sort of instant thing, or you know somebody throwing the microwave, or you know um, go to a store or a restaurant or whatever. And you know, so the foods aren't in their natural state anymore, and so you're getting more calorically dense crap. I mean, that's uh, that's contributing hugely, I would think. Oh, that's a great point. That's that's another strategy for those people seeking obesity, right? Eat out. Don't bother making it at home. Oh, oh you know, I, I got to jump in here real quick. Sure. You know, uh, earlier I said I, I was going through a list of uh, you know foods with my wife. The worst food was you know somewhat uh, innocuous. It was like this uh, Subway tuna melt, um, you know, submarine sandwich. And I was thinking, you know, maybe have 600 calories or something. I mean, it's got tuna. I mean, yeah, sure, there's you know mayonnaise and cheese on it, but you know, is it really that bad? This thing was almost 2,000 calories. So I, I mean, and this stuff is everywhere. Dave, you're a gold mine, man. I'm using all these. <laughs> Bill, if you could put down like three of those a day, just think. Yeah, there it is. Well, that's that's a that's a good strategy. I think we've got uh, a lot of expert opinions. <laughs> A lot of expert opinions to put you on the fast track there for people who are desperate to, to head in, in the obesity direction. So are there any closing thoughts? We should probably start to wind up a little bit. Um, well, we can, we can we, take a question if you want. Oh, okay. Let's do that. Okay. Um, got one from here in Gilbert, actually. Um, I'd like to hear Charles and Lonnie argue about steady-state cardio in the morning. As it relates to optimal fat loss, no, nobody wants seriously, to hear that. <laughs> seriously, who wants to ask everybody um, what they think about short-term fasts for fat loss? Pros and cons. Short, short-term fasts? Is that yeah, saying? like an overnight fast and then doing cardio in the morning. You know, oh, such. well, you know what? All I can say is this: is I think people love to pigeonhole uh, 
you know, different kinds of expert advice and things like that. And you can very clearly see when you look at the literature that there are many ways to skin a cat. I mean, from my perspective, I've seen data, and I think once, Phil, I forwarded you just oodles of abstracts on the fact that when you get up in the morning, your insulin levels are the lowest and your body fat is the most vulnerable. Um, but really the choice to do something like the tortoise approach to fat loss instead of the hair approach, right, which would be more like high-intensity interval stuff, would be that if you're already training your butt off in the afternoon and you wanted to do something to address body fat that didn't, uh, you know, push you over some overtraining threshold or something like that. And so that's really where a lot of the choice comes from, I think, is because high-intensity stuff builds mitochondria and it makes you a better fat burner. So there's definitely two ways to do that. And I think uh, some of the things that I've seen, and you could call this old-school bodybuilding if you want, but is the combination. In fact, when I got very, very lean when I competed last in 2003, I did it not just with the morning fasting, you know, uphill walking and whatnot, but I also was doing five to ten, uh, like, sprint bouts, you know, on a bike after my regular weightlifting. Now, not after leg days because that would be impossible, but on, on other days. So I was trying to purposely drive up the mitochondrial furnaces in my muscles and then put all those furnaces to work the next morning with the fasting stuff, you know. So there's definitely two ways to go about it. And if you look at the research, you can even find studies that say that whether you have people train hard and fast or long and slow, both ways, you know, have similar fat loss over time. So uh, they're both effective approaches. And, and I think people, uh, you know, Dave was talking earlier about marketing and things like that. I think people are so used to marketing messages and trying to identify and pigeonhole people uh, and businesses and whatnot that they, they try to ascribe, oh, Lonnie's that low-intensity cardio guy. Well, they'd probably be surprised <laughs> to see me doing bike sprints at, at the same time, you know, so. I think the whole combination of, and again, this is probably from my bodybuilding background too, but the combination of, you know, a high-intensity weight workout, you know, followed immediately by, you know, a moderate to low-intensity kind of um, cardio session right after for, you know, you know, that boring stretch of 30 to 45 minutes. I, I really do think that works. Again, not saying that the other, uh, you know, interval-type stuff doesn't as well, but. Sure. Is my silence I, on the subject deafening? <laughs> <laughs> well, you I know what? The problem with fasting is you don't get to eat, you know, just fundamentally. <laughs> that is the not-so-fun part, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> you want to get fat, don't fast. There you go. Yeah, but, one, um, of the, uh, one of the principles of, of uh, the anabolic index is that you, you should never be protein fasted, and uh, that is never more true than, you know, before a bout of exercise. I mean, you got to make sure you have some, even if it's like just a, a bolus of leucine or, or BCAAs or something. I mean, yeah, um, just just get that in there, preserve some muscle. I mean, there's there's uh, recent research out there showing that, uh, you know, leucine can preserve lean muscle on a diet, uh, calorie-restricted diet. And, you know, what's going to help you more um, to lose weight than, than maintaining your muscle mass? Oh, sure. Uh, I know um, from my personal experience um, – when I got my leanest and you know low single digits and whatnot, it was uh, when I it was actually after talking to Lonnie, and switched to um, instead of having a bite to eat in the morning and then going to a hard cardio, was switching to the the low steady state, maybe like a half a scoop of protein before I did it, 
and head out for like 60 minutes and with a weighted vest and just walk. You know, and I feel then, like I need to make uh, make a comment here too. Is we're talking about people who are fairly advanced. You know, in our intros, we're always saying, well, you know, we've competed before, and we're these are tweaks, right? When yeah. most people, beginner through intermediate stage, they can make. Uh, muscle mass and fat loss progress at the same time with the right kind of uh, weight training sessions, you know. Sure, sure. And and so we we have to make a real point here too that we're talking about tweaks here. I mean, in my situation or Rob's when we were getting ready for bodybuilding competitions, you're talking about people who are horrified over losing, you know, a gram of muscle mass in the process and just trying to tweak. Uh, the lifestyle to try to get to where we wanted, you know, so, and we didn't dare interfere with later day weight training because that God knows there's no yeah. time for being a cross trainer or, you know, a performance type of athlete when you're at that point in a bodybuilding diet. So think about specificity too. It really depends where, where you're at, you know, mm-hmm. on that beginner, intermediate, advanced scale on how you want to address things. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great point. I mean, it's uh you know, for most people, 99% of the population, I'd say it's whatever, whatever you'll do every day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if, you, if you'll wake up and go hit the street, you know, do it. Yeah. And uh, and like you said, I mean, if you're looking to get down to just, you know, somebody looking to get fit and get 10%, fine. Do whatever you want. It's going below that. You know, if you're looking to get super lean, you know, ready for a stage or something, yeah, like like Lonnie was saying, then start picking up the minutia. Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay, well, that's... That was, that was a good way to finish up, I think. Of course, people who do either, whether it's the low-intensity cardio or the high-intensity interval stuff, uh, in both cases, that's really going to trash your, your quest to be obese. But <laughs> you, know, you know what? Fortress, I'm going to give you Fortress's ingredients to becoming a, becoming a fat person. Okay. All right. Lots of pop. <laughs> lots of French fries. Yeah, fries would be good. And lots of bread. There you go. <laughs> That's what you'll be feeling like in a few weeks with that diet, let me tell you. <laughs> All right, guys. I, I think that's going to be about it for, for this time around. Dave, I wanted to say thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks, Dave. Thank you, Dave. Thanks, guys. This is fun. Can I plug my website? Absolutely. You're going to kick me off if I do that? Uh, it's okay. Well, it's, it's over. Kick me it. off. Uh, no, uh, my website is uh, raisethebar.net, and uh, bar is spelled with two R's because that's my last name. And I have a, a free article database, so uh, go feel free to pick that apart. Use the articles on your website and uh, enjoy. I'd like to say there should be a link as well on the page they're looking at on their computer to your site um, that they can click on, as well as the forums and other Iron Radio type stuff. Actually, you know, and I'll, I'll throw in one last thing. There's already a link to for some of Dave's books on the Iron Radio website. That's that's educational stuff. That's good reading. It's it's right actually at the top of the page over at the right if anybody's Sweet. interested. And so that'll kind of point him in Dave's direction as well. It's Read applicable too. It's it's not just strictly academic and, and educational. It's, it's good stuff to apply. Oh, that's right. I mean, I didn't want to make it sound too educational. Right? That's absolutely right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. All right. All right, thanks, everybody. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.